0: But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Creation Today Theology series, posted March 18th, 2019, titled, Knowledge Without God.
1: For years then, we haven't even copyrighted our material. We allow people to copy it, to give it away. That's what we want. Oh my goodness, poor Paul doesn't stand a chance here. I don't stand a chance? He's being
0: beaten before you can even get started. I'm already beaten? It is
1: a slam, it's like shooting fish in a barrel.
0: This sounds desperate, hmm. What would a seven-year-old say?
1: And my seven-year-old daughter sat there for a second and she went, well, how do they know that?
0: Great question. How do you know that, Eric? Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians.
1: Yeah, because Paul claims to
0: be a Christian or claims that he was a Christian at one time. I do make that claim at the start of each of these videos. I like to give people a little insight into my background and current perspective as an atheist. Do atheists
1: actually know anything? Mm. Because it's our position that if you don't start with the God of the Bible, you don't actually know anything at all. Because without God, we can't actually have knowledge. Without the one who knows everything telling us something, then we don't know anything. And the atheist readily admitted that they don't know anything.
0: Yes, and no. Eric's entire script on knowledge is an elaborate shell game. Let's take a look. The idea of knowledge interplays with the idea of truth, though not always in the ways represented. For a more in-depth discussion of truth, see my Truth Without God video linked above and in the description. When I speak about truth in this video, I'm talking about the extent to which a proposition conforms to reality as adjudicated by predictive power. There are at least four distinct ideas encompassed by the word knowledge or phrase to know as people use them day to day. There is a concept of shared knowledge, knowledge that is held communally, One of the earliest uses of the word science was closer to the idea of body of knowledge than a particular methodology. We're not going to worry too much about this one today, but instead focus on concepts as they apply to personal knowledge. Knowledge sometimes simply means awareness. We might say, do you know Jane the Florist? Or do you know the Bad Lip Reading Channel? The person asking these questions is gauging familiarity rather than looking for truth in any sense. Again, we'll leave this one aside for today. Instead, we'll focus on the broad knowledge categories known as psychological certainty and epistemological certainty. Psychological certainty is all about personal confidence in a given proposition, a spectrum with zero confidence at the bottom and full confidence at the top. The bottom of the confidence spectrum is a range we might label as rejection. Above that, a range we might call doubt. If I doubt a claim, I'm feeling uncertainty about the truth of the claim. Exactly. Very good, Eric. Above that, a range of propositions where we have reserved judgment and consider ourselves neutral. Above that would be another range of confidence levels that we would call beliefs. And propositions we have the most confidence in would fall into a top range we would self-identify as things we know. Our knowledge. Knowledge, in this case, does not necessarily correspond with truth. We can be extremely confident in something that does not conform to reality, and we could have no confidence at all in something that conforms perfectly to reality. One's confidence in a proposition can stem from a combination of any number of factors, including their emotion, intuition, evidence, experience, authority, and preference, just to name a few. Everyone's personal recipe for confidence will vary, and will even change from proposition to proposition. With such a subjective grading system, it should be clear that comparing one person's confidence level to another person's confidence level would be a ridiculous way to attempt to determine the actual truth value of a proposition. But when put on the spot, sometimes we forget this. Confidence level, or certainty, is one concept we mean in regular day-to-day conversations when we speak about knowledge. The epistemic certainty concept of knowledge is directly related to the truth value of the proposition. These are sometimes known as justified true beliefs, as Plato is credited with calling them, but perhaps better thought of as reliably produced true beliefs. Instead of certainty as confidence level, this certainty is more like certitude, veracity, or reliability. Something that is an epistemic certainty has three properties. One, it is true, it actually conforms to reality. Two, the person believes it to be true. And three, the person has justification or reliably produced reasons to believe that it is true. If your prankster friend walks up to you and says your shoe is untied, and you say no it isn't, you're making a knowledge claim. You believe it to be true, and you justify that because when you last looked down, your shoe was tied. If your shoe is indeed tied, then it was true, and you had epistemic knowledge. However, if you look down to see your shoe is indeed untied, you would then admit that you did not know. Such a knowledge claim is retracted when any of the criteria is violated. If you stopped believing it, if you found it to be false, or if you lose reliable reasons to believe. That is one way to distinguish knowledge and belief. The principle of retraction. Did you believe that your shoes were tied? The answer forever remains yes. Did you know that your shoes were tied? No, in light of new evidence, you did not know. The justification we talk about here can come from our senses, from authority, from reason, from predictive power, or probability. For example, my dog can know there is food in her dish when there is food in her dish, she believes there is food in her dish, and her senses of taste and smell affirm it. One area of controversy and confusion is whether one needs to be able to justify their justification in order to know something. We're not saying that the atheist doesn't know things. We're saying that they do know things, but they suppress the only possible justification they have for knowledge. This leads us to presuppositions
1: presupposition just means what you believe before you look at the information before I even look at this what do I already believe before I see the evidence so presupposition really has to do with what you're assuming is already true
0: for someone who wants to pursue truth no matter where it lies that whole notion sounds bad instinctively we want to be fully neutral before looking at evidence fewer assumptions are preferable to more assumptions But unfortunately, none of us can start with zero assumptions. Actually, the atheist like Paul also has a presupposition, a different presupposition. In the end, there are some things we cannot justify or falsify using line of evidence or reason. In the Truth Without God video, we talked about elaborate simulation or brain-in-a-vat scenarios. Rather than defensively pretend that we don't have any presuppositions in an attempt to appear neutral, we should instead embrace the presuppositional nature of some of our assumptions and then do everything in our power to minimize the assumptions in our epistemology. For example, I presuppose that a mind-independent reality exists. I presuppose that other minds exist. I presuppose some level of uniformity in reality, that the future will behave somewhat similar to the past. I presuppose temporal cause and effect. There are no proposed methods of falsifying any of these claims, meaning we cannot put together an evidential case for them, meaning we have to take them as presuppositions. Contrast that with Eric's presupposition.
1: I presuppose that God's word is true, so I know everything I look at must conform yes. to
0: his word. If presuppositions are unjustified, is there a way to determine if one set of presuppositions is better than another? We've got a presupposition. That's They've true. got a presupposition, a presupposition that things have happened without God. Yours is Claims. wrong, ours
1: is right, so there. Well, we
0: could settle this with name-calling, but if we're interested in truth that conforms to reality, then the goal would be to use the fewest assumptions possible. On the surface, Eric has just one presupposition, but ultimately he needs to adopt all of mine before he could begin to read the Bible. He would need mind-independent reality for the Bible to exist in. He would need other minds to exist so they could write it. He needs uniformity so that the molecules and pages and words hold together and have the same meaning now as they did then, and so on and so on. Not to mention the myriad of assumptions the Bible brings with it. A deity, his son, a supernatural realm that a man named Samson had long-hair-based superpowers, splattering dove blood cured diseases, people used to live 900 years, and that some methods of boiling goats are more moral than others, to name few. But many of these things are potentially falsifiable. So a truth seeker would best evaluate them as evidential considerations, rather than presupposing testable claims. So, does a person need to be able to justify their justifications in order to have knowledge? No, they do not. If I presuppose uniformity, But Eric presupposes that uniformity exists because of God. Neither of us have actually justified anything. We've both equally made an assumption, and Eric has made an extra deity assumption that really adds nothing of value to the conversation.
1: When you squeeze an atheist or an unbeliever, what you'll find is they'll admit we don't have any
0: knowledge at all. Why are you squeezing atheists, Eric? A
1: couple years ago, I was debating Bernie at Portland State University, and I asked him this simple question.
0: Bernie, could you be wrong about everything you think you know? yes i couldn't believe it while i applaud bernie for giving an honest answer here one that i likely would have given myself on the spot his honesty allowed him to fall for some word games eric was clever not to phrase the question could you be wrong about everything you know because any epistemic knowledge we have is by definition true for example i know i am not the god of eric's bible this conforms to reality i believe it And I can justify it since the God of Eric's Bible knows everything, and I do not know everything. Even with just this one piece of knowledge, I can answer that I cannot be wrong about everything. However, by phrasing it, could you be wrong about everything you think you know, Eric put Bernie into the realm of knowledge as confidence. As an intellectually honest person, Bernie understands that he has incomplete information about the universe, and that new information could come to light at any time to change his confidence level on any individual proposition. Because Bernie understood he could be wrong about any individual thing, he instinctively affirmed he could be wrong about everything. However, just because Bernie could be wrong about anything doesn't mean he could be wrong about everything all at once. Knowledge is a subset of beliefs, and a person cannot simultaneously believe that all of their beliefs are false, because that belief is one of their beliefs, and that would be a contradiction. Now you see, Paul, what he ends up doing, he denies knowledge. He says that he can be wrong about everything he claims to know. Again, while I could be wrong about anything I think I know... I can't be wrong about what I actually know.
1: Several years ago, I was up till two in the morning debating an atheist online. He continued to affirm that he didn't know anything for sure. I got frustrated by this because I really didn't know what to say.
0: Notice it by saying, know anything for sure, Eric is placing the conversation in the realm of psychological certainty. To confidence. Couldn't know anything for sure? That does sound frustrating, Eric. Hmm... What would you say to someone who claims to know that God doesn't exist?
1: Let's say that you think you have 1% of all the knowledge in the universe. That's a lot of knowledge. Here's my question, though. Could something in the 99% of the information you don't know contradict the 1% that you think you know? Well, yeah. So you could be wrong about the 1%.
0: So Eric switches lanes from the confidence factor of psychological certainty over to epistemic certainty. Sure, finding new evidence in the 99% would lower confidence, But Eric is talking about something in the universe we don't know about that is already presently contradicting what we think we know, even though we are unaware of it. Again, while some of our 1% could be false, one of the things we know is that unknown information out there could contradict the things we think we know. One of the things we know is that unknown information out there could contradict the things we think we know. But no new information could contradict our awareness that new information could contradict us. That would just affirm what we thought we knew,
1: First, you need to understand this important concept or principle. If you could be wrong, then you don't really
0: know. Eric's could be wrong refers to a person's confidence level. But most of us don't require absolute certainty to put something in the spectrum of confidence we would call knowledge. Most of the time, we already subconsciously factor in the possibility of new information into our confidence levels. So this could be wrong doubt is already accounted for in our estimation. And epistemic knowledge doesn't require people to have no doubts. It doesn't care at all about our confidence, only that a person believes it to be true, that the belief is reliably produced or justified, and that the proposition be true. Either way, Eric is wrong here. He's trying to pretend that knowledge requires maximal confidence. It does not.
1: Well, how do we know things is the question. Because to know anything... You would have to know everything.
0: We've already shown how knowledge is granular to the propositions. My dog can know there's food in her dish without knowing anything else. But Eric seems once again to be talking only about confidence to bolster his idea. Because reasonable people will generally entertain the possibility that they might be lacking some information.
1: But there is another option. You could have someone who does know everything reveal to you part of what he knows.
0: The immediate problem here would be that it would be impossible for someone who doesn't know everything to be able to tell the difference between someone who actually knows everything and someone who merely knows more than they do. It will carry my power to every corner of creation. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Worse yet there's really no mechanism by which one could determine that one's confidence in a proposition is actually from divine influence. Let's go back to the proposition confidence spectrum. All of us have a level of certainty that is our personal maximum, the most certain we can be. Cy and are claiming that God could make something even more certain than their personal maximum somehow. But that new divine certainty level would automatically become that person's new personal maximum as well. It's impossible to be more than 100% confident. There's no mechanism for a human to reliably tell the difference between personal maximum certainty and this proposed divinely inspired certainty. So even if God somehow made something certain to you, you have no mechanism of testing the difference. The glass cannot be more than full. You'd have to be intellectually dishonest to claim that an all-knowing, all-powerful being could not reveal things to us such that we can know them for certain. So according to my worldview, I can have certainty. It's intellectually dishonest to claim that an all-powerful being could not plant false ideas in our brains, such that we think we know them for certain. In Sai's Bible, the God he believes in claims to do exactly this. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie so we've already discussed how a human would be unable to tell the difference between personal maximum confidence and some supernatural bonus confidence from a deity, and the Bible tells us that thought manipulation by the Christian God could be truth or could be deliberate lies without the person being able to tell the difference. But Tsai often insists that it's not psychological knowledge he's talking about. He insists that this revealed truth is epistemic knowledge, because he likes to say it's the kind that can't be wrong. Let's recall the criteria for that. The position has to be true, the person has to believe it's true, and they have to have some reliably produced justification to believe it's true. Something is true to the extent to which it conforms to reality, so revelation from God is not a requirement there, and obviously a person can believe things without God's help. So, I guess what Sai is trying to say is that God is his reliably produced justification. But reliably produced means that it's a method that is recreatable, and presumably available for others to recreate in the same causal pathway. But Psy cannot lead us down his causal pathway. He can merely assert it is God as presupposition. Yet within that presupposition, the Bible warns us that divine certainty can be false. All that said, is Psy really talking about epistemic knowledge? You'd have to be intellectually dishonest to claim that an all-knowing, all-powerful being could not reveal things to us such that we can know them for certain. So according to my worldview, I can have certainty. I can have certainty. There we have it. He's not talking about a proposition as certitude. He's talking about personal confidence level. He presents himself as talking about justified knowledge, but smuggles in personal confidence level. This kind of bait-and-switch lane-changing is the core of the presuppositional scripts, and it's easy to be caught off guard because we use these different meanings so interchangeably in regular conversation.
1: Paul's whole point is Christianity is not the only worldview that can account for for our ability to reason,
0: our ability to think. Other, Other worldviews, other pagan worldviews can account for that. Exactly. Let's recap. Knowledge is a reliably produced true belief and revelation from God has not been shown to be a method of reliably producing things. To presuppose the reliability of God is merely to add extra assumptions where justification would be preferred. Where knowledge is merely confidence in a proposition, personal confidence is not actually connected to the truth value of a proposition. The person who's most confident isn't necessarily the person who's most correct, and there's no mechanism to tell the difference between personal certainty and divine certainty. How did I do, guys? I really didn't expect any answers from Paul and that seemed to be the case. Oh well, that bad, huh? Better luck to me next time. If you're not already, please subscribe and hit the notification bell so YouTube can tell you when I've put out my next science, theology, or ham and egg news video. And as always, thanks for watching. Until next time, later.